Thank you, Ms. Tori. Appreciate that much. Hebrews chapter number 11. If you grab your Bibles, join me in Hebrews chapter number 11 as we have the opportunity to get back in our Wednesday night Bible study about the supremacy and superiority of our Savior as presented in Hebrews, and certainly as we are in Hebrews 11, uh, that deals with our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Brother John Meyer Jr. is going to come down the middle aisle. If you need an outline, do not have a prayer bulletin, I'd encourage you to get his attention. We will not review much, just simply four points, really, or four and a couple sub-points. Number one, we've seen, starting in verse 8 and following, we've been discussing and looking at the life of Abraham. Hebrews 11 spends a lot of time on Abraham, and rightfully so. Uh, remember, this book is written to Hebrews, believers, uh, Jews, uh, primarily or initially, and then certainly to all of us as it's included in the canon of scriptures. So Abraham is big on their radar. He is a patriarch. He is the, the father of their nation. And so it is right that Hebrews 11 would spend time on that. Number one, we saw that Abraham listened to the call and promise of God. Again, I'm not, not going to go back and rehash it. Number two, we saw Abraham lived out the call of God, lie the promise. He went to the strange country, strange land. He lived as a pilgrim. Number three, Abraham looked for the fulfillment of the promises of God while he lived out the call of God. So kind of putting those two things together, living out what God had called him to do while also looking for the fulfillment of the promises. And then we saw the last time gathered together, we uh, finished up Roman number, number four, Abraham's and Sarah's legacy of lifelong trials of their shared faith. We saw the human impossibility of the fulfillment of the given promise. We're talking about Isaac being born. We're talking about uh, the promised one, the, the offspring, uh, barren Sarah, old age Abraham. No chance, no way would they have a child. And that was the human impossibility. But we contrasted that with what God points out here in Hebrews 11 and even there in Genesis, the divine possibility of the fulfillment of the given promise. And we concluded with a simple thought. Last time together we said God's power is there for us to claim according to his will and promises. There is nothing that God has called you and I to do that he will not enable us to do. Nothing. Anything that God has called you and I to do, God will empower us to do it. He's promised that. And so we see the, the statement here, the things promised or directed, though they seem impossible, that really has no bearing on the matter. I can't do that. That's, that, that. That can't be possible. That can't happen. But with God, all things are possible. All things can be done. And so it has no bearing on the matter. The only hindrance to experiencing that power is one's lack of faith. It's a challenge to you and I. What is it that God has called you to do? What, what is it that God wants you to do as a believer and as a Christian that you're hesitating? You're kind of holding back and maybe it's witnessing. Maybe it's handing out a track. Maybe it's a, a family member that, boy, you just don't want to go to them and invite them to uh, the church or the upcoming Easter or whatever the case may be. But you know you ought to. You know this is God's will for you. This is what he wants for you. And you're hesitant. Can I just encourage you, God can empower you to do so. Uh, don't let a hindrance, the hindrance of a lack of faith, stand in the way of God doing great things from, through you and for you. Now we come to the last excerpt in Hebrews 11 concerning the life of Abraham. Since we last were visited them, and we're going to jump a few verses that we'll come back to that kind of deals with the entirety of Hebrews 11, but um, since we last saw them, several years have passed. Isaac has been born, as, as was described in the verses we looked at before. We can imagine right now that everything is pretty hunky-dory. Everything is pretty wonderful for, for Sarah and Abraham. Isaac is growing, and he's grown up some. He's, he's progressed from scooting along to, to crawling, and from crawling to haphazardly walking, kind of unsteady. Now he's running around with endless energy like a little boy, and then 
he's growing into a strapping young lad with every passing day and year can you imagine abraham and sarah and how much their their love grows certainly it grew it would grow equally as he grew in stature their heart seeming to bust and uh, to burst with the love for him this miracle baby now years have passed, and they are, they're enjoying him like nobody's business, something they never thought they'd have, and being parents, and being a father and a mother. Uh, he is their treasure. He's the promised one, the one from whom all the nation will erupt, that God has promised Abraham, but he's also, don't forget it, don't miss it, he's also the only child for a couple that had gone through a lifetime of pain and sorrow and hurt over not being able to have a child, being barren, not having any offspring, especially in a society in that day that your, your importance was measured by how many children you had. Here he was, and he was the, the last hope. He was, he was this last bright sunshine on a gloomy life, if you could describe it as such. I can only imagine that Sarah was probably a helicopter mom ever since Isaac was born. Always overprotective, hovering over Isaac all the time. Abraham, a proud father that, that rarely let Isaac out of his sight. He probably did all kinds of things for him, always watching over his shoulder. And you can imagine catching Abraham just watching Isaac play in the yard and uh, do something with animals. And there would be a smile creeping across Abraham's face. And in his heart, there would have been a prayer of gratitude to the God of heaven. See, these were the good days for Abraham and Sarah. The pleasure and joy had never been so full for them. Everything had fallen into place. God had provided wonderfully and miraculously. The Bible describes them as uh, sojourning in the land of the Philistines for many days, the Bible says. So uh, this started to become the norm. This started to become the routine of life. We have Isaac, and, and they probably had forgotten what it was like not to have a child. They'd probably forgotten what it was like not to have Isaac around and all the extra noise and so forth. And can I tell you, the older you get as a parent, the more energy they have and the less you have. Amen? I can testify to that. Okay, yeah, they're worn out, but they're worn out with a smile on their face because Isaac's just a, a, a ball of joy and a, a, a ball of energy. But then something happened. God does something. And on the surface, man, it sure does seem hard. It, it, it sure does seem difficult to understand, hard to comprehend that God would kind of interrupt this peaceful setting and uh, this perfect time in their lives and he would do what he does. Look with me, verse 17, if you will. Look at the first part of verse 17 of chapter 11. And here's what we read. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Unprepared. This was not something they anticipated. This was not a turn in the life's direction that God was ordering his steps that, that, that Abraham would have expected. This was not part of the promise that was given. This was nowhere in, in the revealed itinerary of God for Abraham that you're going to face this situation in your life where I'm, I'm going to ask you to offer the greatest treasure on earth besides your wife that you possess. The very promised child. It is an interesting word that we come across in verse 17, isn't it? It says that, that God tried Abraham. God tried Abraham. 
that Greek word translated as such. It's uh, translated as tempted in Matthew chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 22. In John chapter 6, it is translated as prove, to prove something. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the same Greek word is, is translated as examine, like a test, to give an examination, an exam, to examine. Revelation chapter 2, like here, it is translated as the word tried. So when we read in Hebrews 11, verse 17, the author of Hebrews is just quoting what we read in Genesis chapter 22, the Old, Old Testament account of this event. He's just repeating what we read there. In fact, here's what it says, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things, and that's following where God says they sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many, many days. After these things that God did tempt Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. It's interesting as we think of that Greek word and this, this uh, kind of unique word, try, tempt, prove, examine, this word that has a multifaceted definition or multifaceted translation in, in our Bible. We are also understand that the same word, same Greek word is used in James chapter 1 and verse 13. There in James chapter 1 and verse 13, you could look there just a few pages away. James chapter 1 and verse 13, it's translated as tempteth, tempteth. Same Greek word and just translated try, tempteth, prove, examine, um, uh, tempted in each of these situations. Look at the verse, James chapter 1 and verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, wait a second. Immediately we read that and say, wait a minute, that seems like a contradiction. That doesn't seem right. We, we read in Genesis 22, we read in Hebrews 11, verse 17, that God has tried uh, Abraham. He's tempteth or tempted Abraham. Well, obviously, as always, the context of God's word um, clues us in to the exact definition of the word. Such a word as we have before us today here in Hebrews eleven seventeen, it, it has two different meanings and somewhat polar opposites, aren't they? Somewhat polar opposite. The first definition is, is one that we think of immediately. Matthew chapter 4, the, the, the devil tempting Jesus Christ. The Garden of Eden in Genesis is, uh, as he comes, the subtle uh, shape of the snake and the, the form of the snake. It means simply what? To solicit, to sin, to, to engage, to sin. To, to place inducements, enticements before one to lead him to do wrong, to tempt someone, to try to cause to sin or error. Okay, we might use it in common vernacular and common speech. We would say, hey, can I tempt you with uh, this uh, cake, with this pie? And for some of us, that would be temptation, amen? Uh, for others of us, uh, someone could tempt us with Dr. Pepper, Amen. And that would be a bad temptation to lead us into sin, amen? Okay, so we know what it means, right? To tempt somebody. I'm going to solicit you to do something. I'm going to entice you. I'm going to give you inducement to do something you ought not to do. It's a temptation. That is certainly one use of the words. And Frank, can I remind you tonight? Can I remind you tonight that each one of us has someone in our lives who wants to tempt us to do wrong? That old devil, the old serpent, has not changed since the Garden of Eden. 
he, he's going to knock on your door, friend. He's going to come to you and he's going to say, hey, Christian, why don't you try this? Why don't you think this? Why don't you do this? Why don't, why, why don't you go and give in? What, what's a little bit going to matter? God didn't mean that. He sure, God's word isn't true. He's going to tempt you in every way he can to get you to sin, to get you to falter from the course. No matter what it is, in small ways, big ways, uh, medium ways, you, you name it, he's coming. The Bible's pretty clear about this, and I, uh, I think the scriptures say it well. Uh, Paul called out the devil when he wrote the church at Thessalonica. You remember what he wrote? Here's what he said in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. In other words, the condition of your faith. How are you doing in living out your faith, walking by faith? Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you. And our labor be in vain. The investment in the work and helping you along the right way is in vain because the tempter has come. He has, he has lured you away. He has, he has taken you in a direction that was not good. Peter, Peter was just as direct. You remember in Acts, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they sold some land. And uh, they came to the church and said, listen, we sold it for this much. And the reality was they hadn't. Uh, they sold it likely for more, yet they were on, operating on the pretense. They were giving everything to the church and they were lying about it. And so, so Peter, led by the Holy, Holy Spirit, confronted them, and specifically Ananias at first. You remember what he said? He, he addressed Ananias, and Ananias is standing there at the door, and, and he said, yeah, this, you know, this is how much we gave, and we're giving it to the church, and, and kind of the pat on the back, and, and Peter says something, and he, he talks about the devil. You remember what he said? Here's what he said, Acts chapter 5, verse 3, he says this, but Peter said to Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And to keep back part of the price of the land. It's quite the statement. Here's Satan. He's, he's gotten an inroad in you, Ananias. He, he, he's impacted you. He's tempted you to lie. To not just lie to anybody, but to lie to the Holy Ghost. He's filled your heart. And we can think back on the numerous biblical examples of Satan tempting people. He tempted Jesus Christ. He certainly tempted Adam and Eve, specifically Eve in the garden and many other things. You see, my friend, Satan loves to tempt us. He loves to get us to fall into sin. He, he loves to, to get us off the path we ought to be taking and doing the right things. But may I also say this, God also loves to try us. He loves to try us. That's the meaning of the word. The second meaning, notice it. It means to test the genuineness, the strength of one's faith. Whether it's steadfast. It's a testing of the very character of one of God's own so that it might be made better. A testing of the very character of one of God's own so that it might be made better. Psalmist understood it. You remember... The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 11, verse 5. He said, the Lord trieth the righteous. In this way, God sure does like to test us because he knows that through the testing of our faith, what will it do? It will grow stronger. It will grow better. And so this evening, I'd remind you of this simple truth. Just like Abraham, we can count on both the devil and God to tempt us and try us. Hebrews 11 is a great uh, proclamation that uh, what has happened before to those who have walked this earth will happen again. 
the devil will come after you. He'll tempt you. God will also come after you in a sense. He'll, he'll try you. It's going to be part and parcel of the Christian life for as long as we walk this soil. And so tonight, I remind you of this simple truth, and this ought to be encouraging to you and I as believers, is this simple reality. The devil tempts us to bring out the worst in us. God tries us to bring out the best in us. The devil tempts us. What does he want to bring out? He wants to bring out the old sin nature. He wants to, he, he wants to get you to give into the flesh. He wants you to bring everything of your father Adam uh, that has been passed down from him. He wants to bring all of that out, the worst in us. He, he wants to go back to that sinful creature uh, that we were before we came to Christ. That's what he wants to bring out. However, you know what Jesus Christ wants to do, what God in heaven does through that trial you faced today. He, want to bring, he wants to bring out the best. He wants to grow your faith. He wants to challenge you in such a way that you are stretched, that you are grown, that, that your faith is stronger and better than it has ever been. And often, can I just tell you right now, it can be the exact same trial. Satan wants to use that trial right now you're facing. He wants to bring out the worst in you. He wants to get you back to re relying on your flesh. And he wants you to be griping and complaining and whining and, and uh, lose your uh, passion for the Lord and, and praying and reading the Bible, coming to church. He, he wants to take all that away. He wants to bring out the worst in you. However, God wants to use that very same trial in your life. And he wants to grow your faith. He wants to make you stronger and better in your walk with Him. He wants, to, he wants to grow you in ways that you can't even imagine. God wants to bring out the best while Satan wants to bring out the worst. And the same was true here of Abraham's trial. You can imagine that Satan was not a silent observer of this event taking place. You can imagine that just as, uh, as the devil filled Ananias' heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, he was right there chirping in Abraham's ear saying, listen, uh, why would God ask this of you? Can you believe this God would ask that of you to give the promised child to sacrifice him? All along the way, the devil's there chirping. Well, I don't know about you, but I sure am looking forward to heaven where there will be no Satan chirping using our flesh and using everything else in this world, the pride of life, the, the lust of the flesh, all those things to get you and I to trip up, to get you and I to give in to sin, to get you and I to, to bring out the worst in us. But I sure am thankful that Jesus Christ came and changed us so he can bring out the best, so he can grow our faith. You see, Abraham faced the same thing. What was the, what was the trial? Well, that first part of verse 17 stated it, that God had called Abraham to offer up Isaac. Here's the verse in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. And he said, this is after Abraham said, Behold, I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. That command doesn't leave any lack of clarity, does it? Isaac was to be the sacrifice of a burnt offering it's pretty clear pretty obvious what's going to happen this isn't a, a, a let it go kind of offering this wasn't just pray over it and it's done offering this was to be a burnt offering and there was to be one one only sacrifice that's isaac he was to take isaac and offer him as such no wiggle room in the command now can i ask you for just a moment put yourself in abraham's shoes as God conveyed this to him, and no doubt he was stunned. He was 
overwhelmed. He was floored. Here he is. He's been faithful. It's been many years. He's been faithful. In fact, we would say for the most part he's been faithful. He lived the way that God would have him to live ever since leaving Ur so many, many years ago. He's been a stranger. He's been a pilgrim in an unknown land, in someone else's land that isn't his yet. He, he's been that pilgrim that God has called him to be, that stranger. And finally, after waiting 25 years, he received his miracle baby. He's grown so very fond of Isaac. Isaac is his son. He's the promised one. He is as close to him as anything is. You see, Next to Sarah, he is truly his greatest treasure here on earth. And now God is saying simply this, don't miss it. Your faith needs to be sacrificial. Your faith needs to be sacrificial. Sacrifice the dearest thing to you and your wife that you waited so long for that you, you have no others of. You, you've never dreamed of even having this one. You didn't think you could even uh, dare hope to have a child and I've given you one, but now you need to sacrifice him. Can I ask you a question tonight? Was Abraham human? Sure was. Abraham, as the same flesh as you and I, he had the same emotions and feelings and heart and love and thoughts, and you name it, as all of us do. In that moment, no doubt, humanly speaking, his world collapsed all around him. That's the human response. Can I just encourage you this morning here? I don't know what trial you'll face, but this is true of all trials of our faith. You don't go through such testing of your faith without emotions and feelings. You simply act in faith in spite of those emotions and feelings. You don't go through such testing of your faith without emotions and feelings. You simply act in faith in spite of those emotions and feelings. Sometimes, can, I just, uh, can we just spend a moment here and, and reflect on this? Sometimes you know what we do. We present the saints of the Bible and of the Scriptures as almost like robots. They don't have feelings. They don't have emotions. We almost present them like people who'd go into the doctor and they'd hear, oh, you've got cancer and it's stage four. And they'd be like, praise God, amen, hallelujah. That's not the saints of the scripture, friend. God did not create robots. He created people to be dependent on him for his grace. They have emotions. They have feelings. They go through things like this. And you can be sure Abraham's heart was in his stomach. You can be sure there's pain and hurt and, and sorrow just as you and I feel as you go through a trial of your faith, like a, a health issue. You go through a trial of your faith in finances. You go through a trial of your faith involving relationships and, and you name it. My friend, never remove emotions and feelings from humans because we have them. And so as we read of these Old Testament saints, the reality is, just like you and I, they feel, they hurt, they have emotions. You see, it's not that they're going through the testing and the trying of their faith without emotions and feelings. But Hebrews chapter 11 is holding them up because they simply acted in faith in spite of those emotions and feelings. You see, the saints of old throughout the Scriptures, they, they, they were put through emotional roller coasters. 
You're going through a trial right now. You feel like you're on an emotional roller coaster. Feelings are all over the map. And emotions are all over the map because good days, bad days, good report, bad report, and emotional roller coaster. They too experienced painful, hurt feelings, sorrows of heart. They too had to take steps of faith and their emotions screamed at them to stand still no more. I don't want to go forward. I, I, I can't handle it. What if? What if? What if? You think that Abraham, through this time, in fact, what, three days journey that we'll talk about, do you not think it entered his mind? What if God lets me kill him? What, what, what if God, what, what if, what if, what if, what if? Emotions and feelings. And Abraham is right there. The bottom has fallen out. The roof has caved in. The walls of his life have crumbled. The, the directive from God is hard, not just because this is the son whom he loves more than life itself, but there seems to be a contradiction, doesn't there? Here he is, uh, the promises of God, the walking, living fulfillment of the promise of God, Isaac, and now all of a sudden, the command of God is going to take that away from me. It seems like such a contradiction. The same can be said of our trials sometimes. They seem to be contradictory. At, hard, at times, they're hard to rectify, uh, to find where they fit together the love of God, the goodness that He has promised to us, and yet the difficult experiences that we find ourselves in that He allows and He brings us through or brings to us. I find it interesting, Genesis chapter 22 leaves out something that I would love to know about. Genesis chapter 22, and after the verse we read a moment ago, and, and then the next verse and the action that takes place, there's something that I would love to, to just know a little bit about. You see, Genesis chapter 22 says nothing about what I think was probably a sleepless night for Abraham. A sleepless night when he is wondering in, in his mind and heart trying to rectify and work around all of these things because God has said this and yet God, this is the one that he promised and we waited so long for and we've just grown to love him and enjoy him and he is everything we could have ever dreamed a boy to be and now God has taken him away. My friend, Abraham was human. And I'll tell you right now, if I was Abraham, most of that night would be spent in prayer. Most of that night would be wondering, God, what are you doing? God, what's happening? And I guarantee you, I'd find myself at the flap of the tent where Isaac was sleeping, just gazing upon my son. Is this the last time that I will see him? Is this, the, is this the last time that I'll see him sleeping as such? Is this the last time he'll, he'll, he'll lay down in this tent? Is this the last time? You'd imagine in his humanness the reality. And yet, we find from Abraham that in spite of all that, he walks by faith. It would have been heart-wrenching. You all, you all, each of us know the hurt that we, we can experience when a child goes through something and such. And um, <laughs> seems so piddly, but just the last couple days, little Reed has been sick and don't you feel helpless as a parent when a baby's sick? You can't do anything for him. You can't take it away. And you can imagine in a much greater sense, Abraham's feeling, okay, i got to obey God, walk by faith, and yet this is Isaac. This is Isaac. You know, there's a truth in life. The path of obedient and sacrificial faith is not always easy and without emotion or turmoil. 
but it is always the best path forward. The path of obedient and sacrificial faith is not always easy and without emotional turmoil, but it is always the best path forward. That's exactly what Abraham did, isn't it? Abraham obeyed. He maintained his faith in God and the, the promise. And here's what we read, the very next verse, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 3. It says this, and Abraham, uh, he rose up early in the morning. And, and honestly, I, I think that's certainly obedience, but I also think Abraham didn't sleep much that night. A whole lot, easy, a whole lot easier to get up early when you don't sleep, amen? I, I, I honestly, from a human perspective, I, I don't think Abraham slept much. I think whether he spent it in prayer and, and such, I, I think it was tough. When he rose up early in the morning, he saddled his ass. He took two of his young men with him, his servants, and Isaac, his son. He claved the wood for the burnt offering, and, and he rose up, and he went. There's faith. He went to the place which God had told him. And it took an excruciating three days to get there. Three days. Oh, no doubt, he was cherishing every moment during those three days of travel. But at the same time, you can imagine what tumultuous emotions and feelings that were going on inside of Abraham. And yet he was falling by faith. He's walking by faith. He's living by faith. And he's going towards the place that God has told him. Three days takes them to reach that mountain. And as they reach what is likely the base of the mountain, you remember Abraham turns to those young men. He turns to those servants and he says simply this, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now in that statement, my friend, there is hope. There is faith expressed. My heart hurts. The turmoil is real. The emotions are felt. It is raw. And yet in this, I am still trusting my God. So I ask you tonight, what trial are you going through? Your emotions and your feelings are raw. You are hurting and you don't know how it's going to end. You're asking God, what if, what if, what if? And you don't know the end of it. You don't know the conclusion of it. And yet you and I are called to simply walk by trust him are you doing so is the trial of your faith like abraham's you see we this statement we learn a great truth about abraham it is why this verse is added after a few uh, verses that kind of deal with everybody in Hebrews. We come back to Abraham here in verse 17 through 19. This is why it's present. May I tell you, Roman number 5, Abraham lingered in faith when facing a great test from God. That, that term lingered often has a negative connotation, but it means he remained. He stayed, right? They lingered around. A lot of times they say, well, they're lingering, okay? And it's, it's kind of negative. This is positive. He stayed in faith and in the face of a great test. And that lingering faith, it, uh, that lingering faith that passed with flying colors, the, the test that God brings here, it's seen again in Abraham's response to Isaac. You remember that? Isaac, and he's older. We don't know exactly. Maybe a young teenager is probably the best guess, but we don't know how, how old he is. But you remember, he looks around. And he looks around a little bewildered. He, he kind of looks at the, uh, the donkey. He looks at the, the servants. He looks at Abraham. He looks at all the things that he has. And he, he, he's a smart lad. He puts two and two together. He's also probably reached that stage uh, of junior high where they like to point out everything you do wrong. You ever have a kid like that? 
They'd like to point out, oh, well, you forgot this. Oh, you didn't have your turn signal on. You didn't do this. All right, thank you. Okay, he's probably reached that stage, right? You know, you know what, what happens? He looks around and says, Dad, we got the wood. We got that. But where is the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? Where's the thing we need for the burnt offering? Smart kid, right? Now, can I just tell you right now, any father here, and you're in Abraham's stead, doesn't that just kill you? Your child asks, where is the sacrifice? And you know you're the sacrifice. You're the lamb. Could you just imagine a tear coming down Abraham's face? Do not get me wrong. I think he has all the faith that is proclaimed in Hebrews 11. But it does not mean Abraham is not without emotions and feelings. So maybe a tear trickling down his cheek, he says, Great answer, right? He doesn't say, hey, well, Isaac, I, I haven't been one to tell you this. He doesn't do that. He speaks by faith. What does he say? God will provide his own lamb. God's going to provide it. Great faith. In spite of what he knows that God has said to do, great faith. Lingering faith in spite of what it, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Genesis 22, verse 8. And so it was true, and I like to think of it this way. It's on your outline. I like to think of God working this way. As Abraham brought Isaac up one side of the mountain, God was bringing a ram up the other side, amen? As Abraham was bringing Isaac up the one side, there was God getting a ram, getting ready to get stuck in the thicket at the top. God was providing. My friend, that's great encouragement for you and I, because here's the truth. The trial you're going through right now, you can't always see the other side. And often we don't know what's going on on the other side of the mountain. But I do know this. You can trust that God is at work. God is at work and he is in control. Abraham lingered in faith. He maintained his faith in the promise and character of his God. In fact, that's exactly what the passage here bears out. Look at the rest of verse 17. We read the first part. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. And, and notice, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Some great statements. He received the promises. I, you can kind of take that twofold. The promises were given to him, but also at this point, he had already received the fulfillment of the promises. He had Isaac. This was the one. This was the child from which this nation was supposed to spring, using that word already used to hear it in Hebrews 11. He had been the recipient of the fulfillment of God's promises. His faith had already been rewarded in a great way. And yet there were f promises yet unfulfilled, right? Uh, he had not yet had a great nation. He had not yet getting, gained the land. And I like what verse 18 is. Some of you who have references in the middle of your Bible, you've already seen it. Verse 18 here is a verbatim quote of Genesis chapter 21 and verse 12, the latter part. It says this, For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So already God has told him, this is the one. This is the one. Your seed and that huge nation that's going to come from you will come from Isaac. God has already promised him that. Has already told him that. So Abraham's faith rested on the promise 
as he faced down the greatest test of his faith that he'd ever experienced. And having been already the recipient of the fulfillment of the promises, you know what he knew, what he understood? He understood some good news that helps each of us today. It's simply this. God has been doing this thing of fulfilling his promises for thousands and thousands of years. See, Abraham had already experienced that God keeps his promises. God had already experienced that, uh, the goodness of God. There's a reason we like the hymn, Count Your Many Blessings, because it reminds us that the God of the blessings of the past is the God of the blessings of the future. He's just as faithful. And for Abraham, he had already received some of the fulfillment of the promises. He had already received the, the, the promised child and the miracle baby, as we could put it as such. And the same God has promised him, don't worry, I'm going to bring a nation. Your seed shall come from Isaac. He will be the one. That is why we read the very first word of verse 19. Do you see it there? Very first word of verse 19, accounting. <laughs> accounting. An accountant. Someone who calculates and works things out. And that's what the word means here. It also has the idea, don't miss this, spending time thinking it through. Thinking it through. Taking in all the evidence and working through it and calculating it. Is this a worthy investment? Is this, is this the right thing to trust in? Is this the right thing? It's spending time contemplating, arriving at a conclusion. And I find this passage so crucial for our faith. Because you know what? I hear people in the world, you know what they say to you and I? They say, oh, you believe in God? Well, that's kind of like, that's blind faith. Hey, you believe in God? That's kind of ignorant faith. Yeah. You believe in a God? You believe in a, somebody out there and a creator of the universe and in a God you've never seen? Well, th that's kind of a mindless faith. And I just tell you tonight, as Abraham has showed and as you and I have experienced, the reality is this. We have a thinking faith in a God. A thinking faith in our God. We have accounted, we have, we have contemplated, we have taken all the evidence of God's word and his character and his truth and even Romans chapter 1, the creation around us. And we have arrived at the same conclusion that Abraham arrived at. You see, we have a thinking faith in our God. And here's what we've arrived at. What we might call the concluding premise. It's simply this. Our God is able. Our God is able. Able to do what? Able to do anything He's promised able to do anything you and I ask that's according to his will the Bible says he's able God is able look at verse 19 here's what he says accounting that's Abraham he, he spent time he's thought it through he's taken all the evidence into account accounting that God was what's the next word able he's able he's arrived at the same conclusion and I I love the truth that's presented in the scriptures here don't you Man, I love how our scriptures help us to understand other scriptures and so forth. You know what's amazing here? Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 19, gives us a glimpse into the story of Abraham that Genesis chapter 22 does not tell us. 
It's kind of in between the lines in Genesis chapter 22. We see the, the consequence or the, the reaction, but we don't see the action. We don't see what's going on in Abraham's mind. And, and I don't know about you, but haven't you ever read stories like this in Genesis 22 where, where Abraham is pr- picking up the knife, Isaac is now laying prostrate on the altar, he's picked up the knife, he's ready to bring it in. Have you ever wondered this? I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what he's thinking. As he's picked up the knife and, and Isaac there, I, I wonder as, as Isaac's eyes go large and, and Abraham's lifting this and tears are coming down and he is ready by faith to do exactly what God commanded, I wonder what he is thinking. Whew. I sure am glad for Hebrews chapter 11 verse 19 because it tells us. Look at it. What's God able to do? Well, Abraham believed that God is able to raise him God is able to raise him up, even from the dead. Wow. God is able to raise him up, even from the dead. You know what we find here? As God tells us what's lingering in Abraham's mind as he lingers in faith, don't miss it. Abraham has learned something. He's learned this from all his experiences. He trusted that the same God who made dead bodies produce an heir could also raise Isaac up from the dead. He's remembering, man, my body was dead. Sarah's body was dead. And and they couldn't do anything. We couldn't have children. We were barren. Impossible. God did the impossible. Can I tell you right now, you know what Abraham did? What carried him through the emotions and the feelings and everything else? And not wanting to take another step in faith. Not going to Mount Moriah. Not offering up Isaac as this was his treasured son. What got him through was a faith in a God that could do anything. What the Bible says here, he is able So I ask you tonight, what are you going through that's a trial of your faith? Oh, it could be the smallest thing. It could be a bill that's unpaid and you don't know how it's going to be paid. The trial of your faith. Maybe you've had some tests for the doctor and you haven't gotten the results yet. And now, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? The trial of your faith. Lord, I don't know how this, you asked me to do this and I want to do this, but I don't know how it's going to happen the trial of your faith. But I would just encourage you, the last statement here, you and I ought to be like Abraham today. We ought to linger in faith knowing that just as he has always done, God is able. God is able. Could I ask you tonight in your trial, are you accounting God as being able? to fulfill all of his promises to you, to help you through it, to guide you and direct you through it as you walk by faith. Abraham is a great case study of doing just that. It seems his entire life he was faced with the challenges and the testing of his faith, both from Satan but also from God. I trust you and I will be found faithful as Abraham was. We'll jump back into the passage here next week. Brother Cliff, you'll